0: Good day. Dominic Barfield here and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit based device. I'm really grateful for you taking the time to download and listen to this RVC Podcast and we don't ask for much in return but am incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcasts or Acast and leave us a review some great reviews recently and thank you for that. Obviously a five star review would be great and um, I really appreciate it if you could take it up and it's your time to leave us a review So today joining us in the studio we have uh, Associate Professor Annette Loffler, one of our dermatologist here at the RBC. Um, so many thanks for uh, um, for for um, for coming in today to have a, a a chat to you um and I know that uh, a number of the things you're you're interested in but one of the thing is um, methicillin resistant Staphylococcus pseudo intermedius and so uh, um so I thought we'd talk about that if that 's all right and the idea is though Um, maybe you could discuss with your in your infinite wisdom um, what should we do if a patient uh, that we've taken a swab for for say an ear or a wound has MRSP so what does that mean to the patient?
1: Okay thanks Tom Um, and don't worry listeners my wisdom will be finite today and there will be an end to it so for those of you who have seen MRSP um, you'll probably be familiar that it basically comes with a huge list of resistances reported by the microbiology lab and for those of you who haven't seen it you don't need to worry about missing it because essentially it is a staphylococcus pseudonymedeus so our bog standard um, coagulase positive staphylococcus that colonizes most of our dogs almost all of our dogs at least at some stage and is known as an opportunistic pathogen but the difference between our bog standard sued media. and MRSP is that MRSP is multi-drug resistant. I sometimes call it the little brother of MRSA, who probably most of you are familiar with as the human hospital bug, and many owners are familiar with MRSA, many owners work in a hospital with MRSA, or have worked. The numbers of MRSA in human hospitals in the UK has been declining, Um, but MRSP has now emerged as sort of the little brother, and the little brother Fits quite nicely because it actually mirrors the epidemiology, the clinical picture, and the drug resistance to a large extent, except for that it's actually more resistant than MRSA. So if we occasionally see MRSA in pets, it tends to be the human hospital one, and we tend to have some susceptibilities that we can usually treat even with systemic antimicrobials effectively by using clindamycin or tetracyclines or potentially sulfonamides. Now, for MRSP, they literally tend to be resistant to everything that we've got on the shelf in the veterinary practice, except for the odd isolate that may still be sensitive to something like a fluoroquinolone or to the non-licensed and often not very safe, toxic amicacin, rifampicin that probably most of you have hopefully never had to use, but um, they are occasionally reported with sens- as sensitive still. So, it's a multi-drug resistant bugs if, bug if we have to use systemic therapy, but the good news is it's actually not a very virulent organism, so it is a Staphylococcus pseudinimidus by job description, and the only difference between MRSP and Staph pseudinimidus is that it comes with a whole lot of baggage of um, resistant genes, but it doesn't cause bad disease. It's typically found in ears and wounds and skin infections. Um, but the clinical picture that we're seeing is the same as for non-MR staphsudinamideus. So it's not a bad bug as such, um, and you, you probably, if you paid attention, you probably heard that I kept saying systemic therapy, because even though it's multidrug resistant, it's not resistant to disinfectants and topical antimicrobials. So for all these infections where topical therapy is an option, you really need to pay attention to those because they will work if done properly. Well, if we give systemic therapy, we're just selecting for more and more resistant organisms and the MRSP is not going to get more susceptible with time, it's going to get more resistant. And the reason why that's important is that MRSP infections are often seen in skin and ear patients and skin and ear patients are a long-term relationship with the vet by definition almost. So we're looking at recurrent pyoderma, recurrent or chronic ear disease. So these are things that you have to treat for the rest of their lives over months and years and therefore it's going to be a dead end if you're opting for systemic therapy, while topical therapy can be very effective.
0: So what's the, the topical therapies that you, you might use um, with these with these patients? And, and is it quite often um, that you actually only see MRSP or, or is it more like a mixed growth of mm-hmm. um, bugs or yeast that you'd also see?
1: So in otitis we occasionally see mixed infections sometimes involving pseudomonas which is another multi-drug resistant bug um, but for skin infection it tends to be MRSP only and it's susceptible to the chlorhexidine products and we've got licensed products in the UK available for us in the way of shampoo, malaseb, or microbex. With or, but any two to four percent chlorhexidine product will work if done properly. But it does mean a lot of hard work for the owner. So it's much easier to pop some pills, but it's not going to work. But if they wash properly two or three times a week, and we often use chlorhexidine foams and wipes or potentially the fusitic acid preparations that are available with or without glucocorticoid, it can be very effective and all surface and superficial pyodermas that can be treated topically, including ears and superficial wound infections, should nowadays be treated topically. So there's been a big shift with regard to treatment recommendations for skin and ear infections towards topical, and to be honest I can't remember the last time I treated an otitis externa with systemic antibiotics. So we can do a lot of good, um, but we will be selecting for more MRS if we are using more and more systemic for those infections that can be treated topically.
0: And so do you have any r- sort of brief recommendations about like, how you actually use chlorhexidine preparation? Or is there a length of time that it needs to be in the ear or on the wound for or the area that you clean or how often you do that?
1: So for ears, it's easy All the um, seven licensed eardrop preparations in the UK will do MRSP and staphylococcus, because you're actually achieving very high drug concentrations at the site of infection. But obviously, the quick recommendations follow the data sheet. So eardrums need to be intact, and it needs to be done as per data sheet once or twice daily. And for skin, the 2 to 4% claxidine preparation. So anything you've got there will work if done appropriately and that's usually a data sheet and as often as possible so I sometimes give out three preparations a shampoo a wipe and a foam a leave-on foam and actually get owners to do one of the three um, every day ideally as per data sheet but as as often as possible because we are using it as other replacement for systemic therapy and often the licensing hasn't been done for topical treatment I'm, I'm hoping it will come but basically the the idea is do as often as possible.
0: And when you're sort of discussing things with owners about how to actually use these what what's the the the, the <laughs> um well I suppose what are the implications for for them pri- primarily and also d- is there some um uh, reticence or n- challenges that they might have putting say eardrops in I suppose like in particular and there's any sort of tricks that you say or because <laughs> yeah. <I>, uh, <clears throat> No,
1: I I would like to pick you up on the question, what do you say to owners? Because I think we can't go into, we haven't got enough time to go into how to apply topical treatment, but it's really important that you highlight to owners that there is a zoonotic potential. Um, And as vets, we're not allowed to comment on human health. Multidrug-resistant staph aureus, so MRSA and MRSP, are not generally a big problem for healthy people, but we don't know whether owners are healthy or not. So you do need to explain to them that... Staphylococci, including MRS, staphylococci, can be transmitted between pets and owners and in both directions. So if an owner is immunocompromised they need to mention that the, to their GP that the animal has been diagnosed with an MRSP. The GP might not know immediately what this is but there is information online or they're welcome to get in touch with the vets um, for more information but essentially this is something that needs to be Highlighted to the GP and to an owner, so it is a zoonotic organism. It can be passed on. Staphylococci have got their host preferences, but they're not host specific.
0: Does that mean it would be in the environment as as well? So is it is it yeah. quite likely that the they, they will have um, that the owners will be contaminated carriers? Yeah,
1: that's a cool question because it brings us to point number three. There are three things associated with MRSP. So one is the patient treatment, and I think. It, what we what i can say at finishing patient treatment is that the prognosis is basically good in mrsp infections provided the underlying trigger that triggered infection is is manageable the second point is the zoonotic risk and the third point is that staphylococci are spread in the environment by dogs and people so dom and i have been sitting here now for five minutes and have been spreading our skin squames and hair as we were sitting and staphylococci are attached to those squames. And if I was an MRSA or MRSP carrier, I would have been spreading my MRSA and MRSP around me. And staphylococci can also stay viable in the environment for over a year. So the, the good news is that they can be removed quite easily, but it's elbow grease rather than the magic disinfectant. So wherever people and animals go, rigorous cleaning needs to be done with detergents. Detergents will do and disinfectants are not going to replace detergents. So a good practice clean, upgrade hygiene protocols, upgrade um, hygiene frequency, possibly isolation measures, things like um, booking in a known MRSP infected patient or carrier as the last case of the day, then cleaning and disinfecting the consult room afterwards before another case is seen the next day. So all these things can be done in every first opinion practice setting. What What is needed is a microbiologically trained mindset and elbow grease. So it can be done. MRSP is difficult to treat with systemic drugs but it, it's easy to treat with regard to environmental contamination and with topical treatment. But it needs to be done and it's certainly something where we need to upgrade our um, compliance, our time that we're explaining this to owners because it will be a lot of hard work for the owners to do at home um, compared to just popping a few pills and getting a fix.
0: What is, what is the length <coughs> of time roughly that one would need to invest in if you have MRSP for you to m- stop being a carrier status or, or having that wound Or ear infected. What's that what time frame do you normally say to people you need to kind of invest?
1: So how quickly you can clear up the infection depends on the underlying problem and the infection itself. So an ear infection depends on how chronic it has been and how long it took to actually get to this stage. But you can clear them up in the same amount of time as you would take to clear up an MSSP, a susceptible Staphylococcus intermedius infection. But then probably 80 to 90% of dogs that have recovered from MRSP infection will become carriers. And we are currently doing a study here at the RVC on MRSP carriage. And we're about to finish the study and analyse the data. But so far, anecdotally, I can already say that there are some dogs that lose the MRSP carriage very quickly, four to six weeks after infection has resolved. And the other end of the spectrum of the of the group of animals that we've looked at hang on to their mrsp for over a year now these are not always skin patients with chronic underlying allergies but there are often um, animals that have got chronic underlying allergies and i've i've started to sort of think about if you actually you need to you need to manage the underlying cause so often managing the allergy with steroids is more might sound counterintuitive but that's actually what restores skin barrier function and therefore helps the host to get rid of the MRSP and be recolonized with susceptible organisms because we're not aiming for sterile skin we're aiming for colonization with drug sensitive organisms
0: and it's probably a too difficult question to uh, answer in a, in a short period of time, um, but but I think you still have a, a, a few minutes, so that's is, that is <laughs> I can <good>. come again. <laughs> but with the MRSP, so you said before that when you when you're speaking to veterinarians and they, you know, you know previously when you said, have you had it, heard of MRSP, maybe one or two people stick up their hands, and now when you answer the converse of that, so has anyone not heard mm-hmm. of it, then only one or two people stick up their hands. So, Do you have any understanding in in the the research or studies that you've you've done about why that's the case? And is this in the United Kingdom or is this expressed in Europe and the rest of the world?
1: Yeah. So that brings us to the epidemiology. So MRSP first popped its head up in the States um, and then very soon after in Europe. And within a few years, literally within five years, the um, prevalence rates went up. Very, very quickly. So MRSP in many countries around the world now accounts for up to 50%, 30 to 50% of all staphylococcal submissions to veterinary diagnostic labs. In the UK, the last time we looked at it, we were up to 5% of staphylococcal submissions to labs, depending on where they came from. So slightly higher prevalence in referral practice, that's 5%. In first opinion submissions, it tended to be 2%. So hopefully in the UK, we're still at the lower level and therefore hopefully able to nip things in the bud. But just my impression as a clinician and from getting advice calls um, on MRSP infections, I think the numbers are going up and therefore hygiene and. Early sampling, early recognition is really key. Um, so I think as a take-home message, if you want to take something home from this podcast, it's really more submission to the laboratory to recognize MRSP, because clinically there are no markers for multidrug-resistant. It's literally just lab report. Um, the second thing is cytology is for skin cases and for ear cases really an underused tool. It's cheap, it's quick, it's easy to do. Um, You need a bit of practice, but there's lots of training opportunities on how to do good cytology. And it's something that will tell you literally within two minutes, whether there are cocci involved in that ear infection or in the pustules on the dog or in the wound that's not healing properly, or whether it could be yeast or sterile or something. So it'll give you a great idea of, of is this infected or not, which can guide your infection control measures. If you're seeing an animal, for example, after three weeks of kephalexin and you're still finding lots of cocci on cytology, that animal should leave your premises by the back route and prompt a lot of cleaning because the suspicion of this being an MRSP is high. A staphylococcus or a coccus on cytology should be a staphylococcus should respond to cephalexin. If it hasn't, then either the owner hasn't given the drugs properly or it's an MRSP or an MRSA. So do try to really do a lot more cytology than maybe 10 years ago. 10 years ago, MRSP hadn't been recognized in the UK or had just been recognized by, not reported, but we were getting the first phone calls about some unusual resistances in staph Um But hopefully, we we can still keep the levels down Um, I'm I'm, I'm sort of a bit hesitant here because we haven't looked for a a long time because obviously screening and surveying requires funding. And the question is, what do we do about it? We know the rates are going to go up everywhere in the world, um, so we need to act on it. And acting on it is, is hard work, but it can be done and it can be very effective. The human medics have managed to get MRSA levels to come down, so I'm hoping we can, at least in the UK keep our low levels for a while and bring the mrsp levels down in in practices on the continent and in the states
0: um just one final question do we uh, do we know of mrsp actually causing issues in people although it's uh, it, a it's uh, um, something that it can be contaminated with but is it something that we should be concerned about
1: yeah so we can, we can, as vets, and any veterinary staff member, can be contaminated. So there have been studies done um, on vets' uniforms, on multivial um, drug bottles. Hand hygiene is, like for every staphylococcus, is, is the key thing to improve, first of all. So basically, it, it, it does function like a staphylococcus in practice. Um, and there have been human infections reported, but very few so Staphylococcus can spill over to humans, but it is adapted to dogs. It likes the dog as a host. Um, but obviously, if you've got an open wound and then Staphylococcus lands in it, then it's, go- it's an opportunistic pathogen. It can cause infection, even if it's a human or um, any other mammal or avian species. So they're not that selective. But the key thing is that um, we haven't talked about yet is the carriage what do we do with a carrier patient after infection has resolved? So as clinicians, we tend to be quite delighted when the infection has resolved and the wound is healed. But actually, the risk to contamination, the risk to zoonotic transmission and the risk to the animal itself, should it get an infection in the future, is still there because the animal is still a carrier. So what do we do with those? And we have to await the outcome of our current study because you can extrapolate from what the humans do. They decolonize MRSA carriers with um, topical treatments or chlorhexidine washers and they use muprosin, but that should be reserved for people. Um, we've got fusidic acid as an anti-staphylococcal cream gel agent available in the UK and we could probably get rid of carriage if we needed to so in preparation for example for surgery in special cases but what we have to keep in mind is the ethical concern because at that stage we're dealing with a healthy patient and we're using antimicrobials in a healthy patient which might then drive resistance in the future so resistance to topicals isn't an issue at the moment but this is why we need to um, be careful with using even topicals in a responsible way and in a prudent way and it has been shown that actually MR, um, patients or, or dogs lose their mrsp carriage status spontaneously without intervention provided you keep them away from antibiotics so i have got some colleagues mainly on the continent, who are even more cynical than I am about it. Um, we ca- we have, I've followed quite a few dogs now where they recovered from the MRSP infection and they, recu- and they became MRSP carriage negative, which sometimes took a bit longer than in other cases. Um, but when you almost show them a box of antibiotics from far away, the MRSP comes back again. So we can select for it very quickly, even in carriage negative animals. So, unfortunately, if an animal has that MRSP once, then focus on the follow-up Make sh- for your own practices' sake, because until you've shown that they are carriage-side negative, they will be bringing in MRSP to your practice until they are negative. But also, once you've shown they are negative and you can bring them in the normal way into your practice, still keep in mind that they should really only have systemic antibiotics when needed and when there is no alternative.
0: We'll wrap it up there. Many thanks, Annette, for joining us today and your your time today. And thank you for listening. So don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device. And that way you don't have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a review, uh, a five-star review would be great on Apple Podcasts, Acast, whatever podcast provider you have. Don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends or any friends um, uh, about the show, please. We'll place any show notes on the RBC pages. So if you just type in RBC Clinical Podcast into your search engine of choice, it should be top of the tree. Um, if you like, if you have any comments or suggestions about the podcast, please get in touch. So you can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.uk or you can tweet at Don Barfield. Many uh, thanks for listening this year. We'll try and uh, record another podcast before, but if we don't uh, get a chance to do so, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And until next time, bye-bye.